Truth News Network. Texas declares war on the border and their enemy, the United States. Who do you think is going to win that conflict? More importantly, how will it be resolved? These are questions few have the nerve to ask, but we do. We're TNN, the Truth News Network. And your straight talker is Dan Newman. Wasn't it nice to just have a little bit of peace yesterday, Christmas Day? Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the day after. (laughs) We'll talk a little bit about what that means coming up, but I hope you had a Merry Christmas. You spent time with people you loved. All in your family are healthy. Everything's going good, and now you're ready to get going and put this final week of the 2023 year in the rearview mirror. We're all going to do that. We're going to plan for what's ahead for us. Speaking about what's ahead for us, today we have, of course, our second hour. It's Tuesday. Steve Baker joins us. I think he's going to be joining while he's traveling, headed from North Carolina back to Washington, D.C. I may be wrong, but I think it will be. There are a lot of little things that we need to clean up, information that had come out after he was with us last week that we want to get into. And one thing he and I are going to analyze, and you're going to hear it before Steve comes on, Tucker Carlson visited with Julian Assange. You remember Julian? There's a lot of news that has come out of that interview, Tucker, with Julian Assange. And it portends some really bad information about people in our government. And it's not all about Democrats in our government. Woo. Between now and then, what are we going to do over to get this Israel-Hamas thing finished? Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu weighs in. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin has some words of wisdom regarding the strike that we finally made against those Hezbollah terrorists. Another attack and another American or two have been hurt over there. Much to cover today. So sit back and get ready.
relaxing song. This is the day after the big day, big, big, big day every year, Christmas. And it's always good to, uh, after a big holiday, just relax a little bit the next day. Hopefully you got that extra day off. A lot of people with their job comes an automatic Christmas and Christmas Eve off. And if either of those happens on the weekend, a lot of employers will give an extra day to their employees. So there probably are many of you that are listening around the globe and you're off again. That's a good day, but I appreciate all of you joining us. It's great to have everybody that comes around and listens and reads the 
products and information that we published at truthnewsnet.org and, of course, TNN Live. And you get to keep up on things and some things you may not even hear from any other source. Not because we're super sleuths. It's just, to be honest, there's a lot of stuff to keep up with now. Far more. Far more than used to be. And it's tough. It's tough for us. We can't get our arms around everything. Look at all of the news agencies of various types that are out there in the United States and elsewhere. Can you imagine? Can you imagine trying to keep up with the content that come from each of these every day, all day long? It's impossible. It's kind of like which noise are you going to allow to overcome your earbuds? <laughs> Which ones are you going to listen to? Which ones are you going to read? That's a good thing to figure out and find a comfortable place where you can go and be confident that you're going to hear and see and read this stuff that's really true. So why don't we jump on the wagon and start moving around, getting things in place for you? Yes, we finally did retaliate 103 attacks against Americans in Middle Eastern locations where we are, 103. This one, there were three Americans that were hurt, one of them critically hurt, as a matter of fact. And so we wonder, I wonder, many of you, I get texts from you, what's going on with the Biden administration? Why don't they stop this? 103 unprovoked attacks on our military over there? People really hurt? We're not getting all the facts coming out of the Department of Defense about what happens to some of these people that are hurt. I can tell you, through the back door of information, we discovered early on when one of those attacks happened in the very beginning of them deciding they were going to flex their muscles, we had a group of people that may never be the same again. Horrible brain injuries. Oh, it's no big deal. No big deal. They said that through 102 such attacks. So Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, he had to get up and make a statement. And he did yesterday. Quote, today at President Biden's direction, U.S. military forces conducted necessary and proportionate strikes on three facilities used by Hezbollah and affiliated groups in Iraq. Now, this is in a statement he didn't publicly say it. He continued, these precision strikes are a response to a series of attacks against U.S. personnel in Iraq and Syria by Iranian-sponsored militias, including an attack by Iran-affiliated Hezbollah, an affiliated group on Erbil Air Base earlier today, and intended to disrupt and degrade capabilities of the Iran-aligned militia groups directly responsible. Three American military personnel were injured during the attacks. And that happened on Christmas Day, early our Christmas morning. Austin continued and said today's attack led to three injuries to U.S. personnel, leaving one service member in critical condition. My prayers are with the brave Americans who were injured. And he added this, and let me be clear, this is like your daddy you're going on vacation, you and your brother are in the backseat of the car and you get a little bit rambunctious and daddy says, who's driving, don't make me come back there. Austin said this, and let me be clear, the president and I 
will not hesitate to take necessary action to defend the United States, our troops, and our interests. So let me ask you, Mr. Secretary of Defense, the President and I will not hesitate to take necessary action to defend the United States, our troops, and our interests. Uh, when does that begin to happen? Whatever you've done, I don't know what you've done in retaliation. Obviously, it wouldn't be much because nobody around the world is speaking anything positive about our reactions to what they're doing over there, kicking us in the shin, sneaking up behind us. What are we doing? What's it going to take to get your attention? Do they need to drop a nuke in Washington, D.C. before you'll wake up and understand these people are going to keep doing what they do? It's almost like you have a dog that lives next door, and every time you go by, he jumps to the end of his chain, and he'll start snapping at you. And every once in a while, you get too close, and he bites you. And so every day, you just let him do what he does. You just move a little bit away, but you're kind of ignore him, you know? That's what Lloyd Austin is doing. And when did Lloyd Austin move to the White House? Did you hear what he said? The president and I, let me be clear, the president and I will not hesitate to take necessary action to defend the United States, our troops, and our interests. Well, if that's what you're going to do, and that would mean you probably have already been doing it, how feckless are you at stopping and defending our troops, and our interests. You're not doing anything about it sufficient to hold them accountable. If you were, they'd stop doing it. That sounds exactly like what happened under Barack Obama and Joe Biden for eight years. Don't make me come back there. And they just keep pounding away. Keep pounding away. So, it's just another song No, it's the same song, just a third or fourth or, no, now 103rd chorus of the same song. Nothing's happened. Nothing changes if nothing changes. If you want them to stop doing what they're doing, stop them. I mean, the way this is playing out, somebody's going to get hurt or killed on our side of this equation. Whose son or daughter is going to have to die over there until these experts at the Pentagon figure out what to do. They know what to do. They just don't have the chutzpah to do it. So more news comes out of the Middle East over the weekend. Egypt, they stuck their nose in this whole thing, and they proposed a a way to stop the war. I'm not going to dig into the details because it's not going to be acceptable. And so after that, call came from Egypt, and I don't believe Hamas was going to sign on to it anyway. Prime Minister Netanyahu, he came forward with three peace conditions, and they're very succinct. One, destroy Hamas. Two, demilitarize Gaza. Three, deprogram Palestinians. Hmm. Now, this was in an op-ed yesterday in the Wall Street Journal. 
First, he said, Hamas, a key Iranian proxy, must be destroyed. The U.S., the U.K., France, Germany, and many other countries support Israel's intentions to demolish the terror group. To achieve that goal, its military capabilities must be dismantled, and its political rule over Gaza must end. Hamas's leaders have vowed to repeat the October 7 massacre again and again. That is why their destruction is the only proportional response to prevent the repeat of such horrific atrocities. Anything less guarantees more war and more bloodshed. Secondly, Gaza, he said, must be demilitarized. Israel must ensure that the territory is never again used as a base to attack it. Among other things, this is going to require establishing a temporary security zone on the perimeter of Gaza and an inspection mechanism on the border between Gaza and Egypt that meets Israel's security needs and prevents smuggling of weapons into the territory. Third, Gaza will have to be de-radicalized. Schools must teach children to cherish life rather than death, and imams must cease to preach for the murder of Jews. Palestinian civil society needs to be transformed so that its people support fighting terrorism rather than funding it. So there it is. Netanyahu and the Israeli people, the IDF, they haven't budged an inch. This war will not be over until Hamas is destroyed. In other words, you're going to stop killing. And if you don't stop killing... We're going to kill you so you'll quit killing us. You could say a lot of things. We can spend a lot of time talking about this, but we're just not going to do it. It's going to happen. Pray for peace. Pray for peace. We don't need war. In wars, people die. People die. Now, as bad as this is going on over there, It's far worse in one other part of the world. This one just made me choke. Nigerian gunmen yesterday slaughtered at least 140 Christians in Nigeria. 140. Could be more than that. Those gunmen attacked remote villages over two days in north-central Nigeria. This morning, in the latest of such mass killings this year, they blamed it on West African nation's farmer-herder crisis. A herder, farmer-herder crisis. These assailants targeted 17 little communities' villages during the senseless and unprovoked attacks, during which most houses in the area were burned down. One news agency said Tuesday in a broadcast, as I am talking to you in Mangu local government alone, we buried 15 people. As of this morning in Bokas, we are counting not less than 100 corpses. I am yet to take stock of the deaths in Barkin Ladi. That's the governor talking. It's been a very terrifying Christmas for us. Amnesty International, Nigeria's office, told the Associated Press that it has so far confirmed 140 dead in the Christian-dominated Bokas 
and Barkin Ladi local government areas of Plateau based on data compiled by its workers on the ground from locals. The locals feared for a higher death toll with some people unaccounted for. Some of these locals said, now just imagine this, it took more than 12 hours. They were dealing with this. They were being slaughtered, watching their loved ones slaughtered for 12 hours before any security agencies responded to their call for help. I called security, but they never came. The ambush started 6 in the evening, but security reached our place by 7 in the morning. That was from a woman named Sunday Dawoon. At least 27 people were killed in that village, including his brother. No group took responsibility for the attacks, though the blame fell on herders from the Fulani tribe. They've been accused of carrying out these mass killings across the northwest and central regions of Nigeria, where the decades-long conflict over access to land and water has further worsened that sectarian division between Christians and Muslims in Africa's most populous nation, Nigeria. It just gets worse and worse and worse, and people aren't doing anything to get to the meat of it to try to stop it. Everybody's got their own philosophy. Everybody's got their own idea, and they will not sit down at the table and find common common ground. This thing in Nigeria, it's been going on for decades. I mean, Christians are periodically just slaughtered left and right. Look at what's happening up in the Israeli-Hamas war. Everywhere the Muslim extremists exist, they go after to annihilate any entity or group of people or even nation that rejects Islam, and their jihadist arm is out there to take matters in their own hand about the people that refuse Islam, and it just keeps on trucking. So this battle back to the Middle East, Iran is threatening this morning, they're going to close the Mediterranean Sea. Mediterranean Sea, they're going to close it over the Gaza War. And on that side of the world, folks, if that happens, talk about things that come to a screeching woe. It's going to be really tough. Iran says they're doing this because crimes committed by the United States and its allies in Gaza, as the Houthi terrorists continue to attack merchant vessels traveling through that area, in the Mediterranean. They shall soon await the closure of the Mediterranean Sea, the Strait of Gibraltar, and other waterways. That's coming from Mohammed Nakdi, a general with the Iranian Revolutionary Guards. Iran does not have direct access to the Mediterranean. As such, it's unclear how the Islamic nation intends to close off the Mediterranean. Nagdi talked about the birth of new powers of resistance and the closure of other waterways. Over the past month, Houthi terrorist group of Yemen have claimed responsibility for multiple attacks on merchant vessels sailing through the Red Sea, actions which the group says are in retaliation for Israel's operations in Gaza. 
On the 23rd, Saturday, U.S. Central Command reported two anti-ship ballistic missiles were fired from Houthi-controlled areas of Yemen into international shipping lanes in the Southern Red Sea. A Norwegian flagged ship operated chemical oil tanker reported a near miss of a Houthi one-way attack drone. A second one, a second ship, a Gabon-owned Indian flag crude oil tanker reported it was hit by a one-way attack drone. These attacks are the 14th and 15th attacks on commercial shipping by Houthi militants since October 17th. Now, what are we doing? This administration, they claim to be the arbiters of everything good on the planet. If you have issues, just look at us. Give us a phone call. We'll tell you what to do and how to get out of it. What we used to be before the Biden administration, what we were then was Big Brother. And I'm figuratively speaking there, but most of the world the non-terrorist players on the planet, during the four years of the Donald Trump administration, they did not hear a bunch of lift service. They heard, if you do this, here's what we're going to do. They heard that two or three times, and guess what happened? When they did what they weren't supposed to do, they got popped. And they tried it a couple of more times, actually only one more time, and they got popped, and somebody died. And guess what? The bully went to the House. But then Joe Biden gets in office and he took a page from his former boss, Barack Obama. One example is what happened in Syria. Basar Assad was killing his own people, gassing them to death. That's against every international treaty of any kind whatsoever. And he wouldn't stop. And so Barack Obama made a big great orator that he is, and he is an orator, no question about it. He's a great communicator. He went international, and he, he's, he, he basically said this, don't do it again. If you do, we're drawing a line in the sand. You cross that line, you're in trouble. Well, what Basra Assad do? Exactly what they're doing over there now. They knew Obama wasn't going to retaliate. He didn't. They're not afraid, they being the extremists in the world. They're not afraid of a peace-talking commander-in-chief of the United States. What they are afraid of is somebody who is a bully and does not allow them to bully us. Our bully is bigger than their bully. And if you bully us, you're going to pay a price. Sometimes it'll be with your life. There's a big difference. Symbolism over substance. People on the left, they have perfected how to communicate, what to say, how to scare people, threaten, intimidate, take all of the freedoms away from the people to keep them from being able to do anything. And what ends up happening? The government takes more power, the people have less power, and the governments, they don't listen to the people who elect them and put them in office. That's what's happening here. This is a prime example. 
I in no way could ever think that a Donald Trump in presidents, in his presidency, if he was still there, do you think 103 attacks would be made by the Houthi rebels and some of the other jihadists in the Middle East against our military locations over there? 103? Well, they've retaliated a bunch, Dan. Well, how many times did they retaliate? And has it changed anything? No, it hasn't. It doesn't matter if they've retaliated one time or a thousand times. When nothing changes, nothing changes. You want different results? Put different things in action. Quit doing and saying the exact same things that don't have any results other than the fact the bully keeps beating on the little kid. That's the way it's always worked. Well, guess what's happening across the Middle East and other parts of uh, that part of the world with all this going on? Israel's Christian population is continuing to soar even higher Why? Persecution builds everywhere across the Middle East. According to CBS, wouldn't consider CBS News a uh, controversial Christian network or whatever, but they have reported 187,900 Christians live in Israel that compose almost 2% of the population there. This represents 1.3% growth from last year with followers enjoying complete religious freedom in Israel that is denied it elsewhere in the neighboring countries over there. Christian population has been on the rise for at least two years now. In 2021, it grew by 1.4% to 182,000. Last year, it was about 2% growth to 185,000. Three quarters, 75.3% are Arab Christians who make up 6.9% of the total Arab population. Contrast? Well, it's way different from most countries in the Middle East, where Christian population is actually declining, and there is horrifying growth of persecution designed to drive out followers of Christ. This is according to the organization Open Doors, which puts on an annual world watch list of where Christians suffer very high or extreme levels of persecution and discrimination for their faith. The top 50 countries over there in which Christians were persecuted this year, 2023, Yemen, Libya, Iran, Afghanistan, Iraq, Morocco, Qatar, Egypt, Turkey, and other Middle Eastern and Muslim-majority countries. Israel's not on that list. Instead, offering safe haven for persecuted Christian minorities from outside its borders. Iran's regime, in particular, has waged a campaign to persecute evangelical Christians and Catholics. Overall, the Jewish state has a population of 9.795 million people. Some 7.181 million, 73%, identify as Jews, 2.065 million, 21%, as Arab, and over half a million, 549,000, as neither. The country's population is going to reach 10 million late this coming year, 
16 million by 2048. By 2065, Israel's population is expected to have doubled. What does this mean? Christians are going places that not only believe in God. I know Jews, they believe in Jesus Christ. They do, but they, straight hardline Jews, believe he was a prophet, not necessarily the son of God. But Jewish people, they are far more devout than most Christians in the United States at believing in God and serving God. They just reject Jesus as being the Messiah. They're still looking for the Messiah to come. But isn't it interesting? People, godly people, are running towards the only place in the Middle East where you're free to serve and live in whatever religious sect that you want to be a part of. Well, if you joined us, not at the top of the show, but wait in. Steve Baker will join us in about 27 minutes. He uh, has a lot of things to tell you about and something we're going to share with him and let him analyze with us right before he comes on. I'm going to play you the latest coming from Tucker Carlson, and it has to do with Julian Assange. And so be thinking about that. We'll give you a lead up into it, exactly what it's about. But the exposure that Tucker gives us about many, many, many things that have been documented and proven that occurred by our government, this is going to blow your mind. And it's happening right under our noses. And one thing you're going to say when you hear it is, how? How could we miss this? It's amazing. He's talking about motorcycle insurance, and people love it. And of course, they love the savings they're going to get with Geico, but it goes beyond that. You deserve to save. <laughs> Heard that before. You deserve to save. I know. I need you to hear me. You deserve to save. I deserve to save. I mean, he has a way of making you feel seen. Bundle car and motorcycle insurance and save at geico.com. Believe in the power of friendship. Really? You guys are good. (laughs) Movies right when you want them. Watch unlimited movies instantly for only nine bucks a month from Netflix. That's so cute. It's stupid. Have you ever wanted to learn a new language like French, Spanish, or Russian, but thought it would be too difficult and time-consuming? Then go to Babbel.com and try it for free. Babbel works because it's built around real life. It teaches you everyday practical conversations that you will actually use. In 15 minutes a day, you'll be on your way to speaking a new language in just a few weeks. Babbel uses a modern conversation-based technique that makes language engaging, fun, and memorable. It starts by teaching you words and phrases. Then, sentences gradually get more complex. Soon, you're practicing short conversations about real-life topics. Babbel is created by language experts who use the space repetition method to help you learn quickly and remember what you learned. With Babbel, you can speak a new language. Babbel. Language for life. Celebrating 10 million subscriptions sold. Now try Babbel for free at Babbel.com. Just go to Babbel.com and start learning a new language today. That's Babbel.com. B-A-B-B-E-L.com. Saying it out loud. No spin. Only the truth. Again, Dan Newman. Let's change the subject for a few minutes. One of the most disheartening things I've watched play out in the 
the infrastructure of the United States in the sectors of our government and uh, things like our education, our kids' educations, all the crazy stuff happening on our university campuses, more and more evil and horror are being disclosed. We're finding things are really, really not very good in a lot of places right now. And what's worse is we find out there are reasons for it happening, that much of it is coordinated. But I want you to realize something. None of this just happened all of a sudden. None of this just happened when Donald Trump started running for president. It was underway, had been going on for many, many, many years. Now I'm going to let you listen to somebody, a statesman, who's passed away now. And you're going to laugh at me when I tell you the name of this person. But in a speech on a national level, in 2005, specifically targeting all of the crazy stuff happening in our education and political processes and the reasons for it, he nailed it. George Carlin. Remember him? I thought he was a really good comedian. Actually, he was a DJ, and he was stationed at Barksdale Air Force Base in Bossier City uh, for a couple of years, and he worked at a radio station, KJOE. And uh, I, a long time ago, many years ago, I worked there for a couple of years, and he had scratched his name into one of the pieces of equipment, a cabinet was that was there, and signed it. Um, But he always had a lot of things to say, but he wasn't just a comedian. He was a communicator, he was an American, and he loved this nation. There's a reason education sucks, and it's the same reason that it will never, ever, ever be fixed. It's never going to get any better. Don't look for it. Be happy with what you got. Because the owners of this country don't want that. I'm talking about the real owners now. The real owners, the big wealthy business interests that control things and make all the important decisions. Forget the politicians. The politicians are put there to give you the idea that you have freedom of choice. You don't. You have no choice. You have owners. They own you. They own everything. They own all the important land. They own and control the corporations. They've long since bought and paid for the Senate, the Congress, the state houses, the city halls. They got the judges in their back pockets. And they own all the big media companies, so they control just about all of the news and information you get to hear. They got you by the balls. They, they spend billions of dollars every year lobbying, lobbying to get what they want. Well, we know what they want. They want more for themselves and less for everybody else. But I'll tell you what they don't want. They don't want a population of citizens capable of critical thinking. They don't want well-informed, well-educated people capable of critical thinking. They're not interested in that. That doesn't help them. That's against their interest. That's right. They don't want people who are smart enough to sit around the kitchen table to figure out how badly they're getting by a system that threw them overboard 30 years ago. They don't want that. You know what they want? They want... Obedient workers, obedient workers, people who are just smart enough to run the machines and do the paperwork and just dumb enough to passively accept all these increasingly shittier jobs with the lower pay, the longer hours, the reduced benefits, the end of overtime and the vanishing pension that disappears the minute you go to collect it. And now they're coming for your Social Security money. They want your fucking retirement money. They want it back. 
so they can give it to their criminal friends on Wall Street. And you know something? They'll get it. They'll get it all from you sooner or later because they own this fucking place. It's a big club, and you ain't in it. You and I are not in the big club. By the way, it's the same big club they use to beat you over the head with all day long when they tell you what to believe. All day long, beating you over the head in their media, telling you what to believe, what to think, and what to buy. The table is tilted, folks. The game is rigged. And nobody seems to notice. Nobody seems to care. Good, honest, hard-working people. White collar, blue collar, doesn't matter what color shirt you have on. Good, honest, hard-working people continue. These are people of modest means. Continue to elect these rich suckers. You don't give a fuck about them. They don't give a fuck about you. They don't give a fuck about you. They don't care about you at all. At all. At all. Yeah. I guess now you know why you don't hear George calling very often. We try to bleep out all that. I think he got the point across, though. He could have gotten it across without the profanity, too. But nevertheless, that was part of his shtick. That's what comedians sometimes do, and they get famous for doing it. But how honest and factual was that? And remember, that was 18 years ago that he said those things. You know what's the worst part about that when you think it through? Now, today, 2023, the conditions have worsened about the control and the power and the grabbing the power by those that are very much in charge. And he made it clear, we're not in charge. It's a closed group of people now. And more and more, we're finding out that it really is closed. And it's like it's a club. And you have to be asked to join it. It doesn't do any good to ask to join it. You got to wait for them. And then if you're in, oh my gosh, it's a free ride. How realistic is that to what we're living in right now? One thing, when Steve Baker comes in, we're going to talk about the oddities, and there are a million of them. But the big ones that are just getting exposed over and over and over again by things and people and actions in the Biden administration for what we're watching play out that is exactly parallel of what George Carlin was taking a a shot at that was already in place, maybe at a lesser level, back in 2005. And they've just gotten stronger and deeper and wider And more prevalent, case in point, another story out today about Paul and Nancy Pelosi making millions and millions of dollars on one stock trade. And it came from secret information about a company that was about to be announced and things in it to be announced that are game changers and will change the world in which we live. The day before that information went public, Paul and Nancy bought a bunch of options on the stock. And in one day, they made millions of dollars just because they're in the group. They're in the club. In fact, they may have invented the club. I don't know. Don't ever wonder again about how politicians go to Washington, D.C. just being regular people middle-class Americans that may be successful in their jobs and got some success and wealth. But when they 
ever leave Congress. They're worth bazillions of dollars, millions. How does it happen? They're in the club. And don't point a finger at your telephone or your computer and say, Dan, don't go out there. That's a conspiracy theory. It's not anymore. Probably when George Corlin said it, it was a conspiracy theory. Now it's a fact. They don't even try to hide it anymore. News today on the Ukraine war with Russia. Ukraine announced this morning they have destroyed a large Russian warship with a storm shadow cruise missile. And Russia acknowledges. They acknowledge a missile attack on warship in its Novocherkassk, which Ukraine claims to have destroyed in a cruise missile strike early Boxing Day, which was yesterday. Ukraine appears to have come out of Christmas Day determined to make an impact. They claim to have destroyed another big Russian warship, and Russia said they did. Lieutenant General Mykola Olashuk of the Ukrainian Air Force thanks his pilots for the very fine work noted in a statement. The Russian fleet is getting smaller and smaller. Ukrainian Pravda reports remark of the spokesman for the Ukrainian Armed Forces, Yuri Enot, who gave more detail on the strike, saying fighter jets launched a barrage of Anglo-French Storm Shadow Scop cruise missiles at the target, hoping at least one of the group would evade Russian air defense. He's reported to have said the size of the blast suggested a detonation of ammunition aboard that ship. Indeed, Ukrainian state media shared video footage they claimed was of the attack showing a massive explosion, a great column of fire reaching into the sky after the initial hit. Given cruise missiles are intended to deliver a very powerful but highly concentrated strike to punch through armored targets, the very large and long explosion shown in the Ukrainian shared footage, it makes you believe large quantities of ammunition carried aboard that ship may have cooked off. In other words, got so high from the blast temperature-wise, they just exploded massively. Russia said only that the ship had been damaged and that nearby buildings in the Crimean port of Fedosia had windows blown out by the blast. It also claimed to have shot down two Ukrainian Sukhyo Su-24 fighter jets, which it said were part of the attack. TASS, the Russian state media, said locals who recorded the attack on their cell phones posted the videos on social media, which were shared by Ukraine as evidence of the strike, have already been identified and they face criminal penalties for distributing military intelligence. <laughs> These military people over there, I, and even ours, every time our Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, gets up and makes a speech or sits in a committee hearing in Congress, he is the most pompous, arrogant person in the U.S. military I've ever seen. And we've had some real winners in the past. But these countries over there are spanking us. And it looks like what's happening is the tide has turned 180 degrees where they used to be intimidated by us. We're intimidated by them. How can I think that? 
We talked about it in the first half hour of the show. You don't hold those that do wrong things, illegal things against you. You don't hold them accountable. A bully's going to bully, and he's going to keep doing it as long as he's not stopped. The United States is not stopping any of the bullies. And those that are sitting quietly, they're not just sitting there. They're watching, looking for, and waiting to find a spot where they can go after us if it's only to beat their chest and say, we popped the United States and they did nothing. And by the way, those rebels over there, Houthi rebels, Iranian proxies that are doing all that stuff, 103 attacks on our troops in Syria and Iraq, and we did nothing? What do you think they're thinking right now? And it just proves we're who we thought they were. Do you know the name Dean Phillips? I'll give you a hint. He's a Democrat. He's in Congress. He's from Minnesota. He's running for president. Dean Phillips, must be honest, before this weekend, I heard the name, but I didn't attach it to anything like a presidency run. But over the weekend, he made another case for his White House bid, arguing there's not one shred of evidence that President Biden can win this election against Donald Trump. Now listen, Phillips was in an interview with News Nation, Dan Abrams there. That's been around a few years, News Nations. If you're Cable provider, if they've got it up there, make sure you start listening. It's very conservative, and you get another perspective. I'm not saying everything you hear on Fox is right and good. Not everything on Newsmax. Same thing about News Nations. But it's another conservative source you can draw some information from. Anyway, Phillips was on Dan Abrams' show there, and he said people aren't taking his candidacy, Phillips, seriously because he isn't as widely known and people are used to a duopoly. The Minnesota Democrat claimed people are using the political industrial complex that is always focused on a coronation, not really accustomed to a competition, particularly when you have an incumbent president. But this is an unusual time, he said. And I wanted to bring you this story because it made me think, and I like to get challenged in my conservative ideology. Phillips added, he thinks people who are not alarmed about Trump's chances of winning re-election are being delusional, and that's why he's going to run. He likes Biden, but doesn't see Joe Biden doing well. Said he tried for a year to encourage Biden to pass the torch and to get other better-known candidates to step up. This is what you do in democracy. By you practice by actually having competition. So it's going to take some time for that delusion to pass. But I've seen not one shred of evidence, not one, that Joe Biden is in position to beat Trump. Not one. On the campaign trail, Phillips, who's a long shot, he said he has only encountered three people who have said they are happy with either of the likely two party frontrunners. 
Phillips, who announced in November he would not seek re-election to the House from Minnesota, he argued that Biden should thoughtfully exit the 2024 race, telling Abrams that Biden knowingly running against the most dangerous man in the world and losing to him and all of the battleground states with historically low approval numbers is a threat to democracy. If I were President Biden, Phillips said, and I cared about democracy, and I believe he does, he should do one of two things, either thoughtfully exit the stage or invite other candidates to do it, he said. Abrams also asked Phillips about his net worth and how he became a rich guy. Phillips, who's one of the wealthiest members of Congress, is an heir to his stepfather's Phillips Distilling Company, Empire, also ran the Gelato Company, Talenti. I thought that would be interesting to hear. You don't hear much coming from that, from this guy, people like that. Anyway, I want to go to what I told you we want to hear before Steve Baker joins us, and that is Tucker Carlson and his conversation, he's talking about it, with Julian Assange. Now remember, Tucker's gone from Fox. He is now has his own show on formerly known as Twitter, X, and he's still being Tucker Carlson. Listen very closely to everything he has to say. It's very important, and Steve is going to join us on the other side of this, and we're going to break it down. Julian Assange is one of the greatest journalists of our age. He spent his entire adult life bringing previously concealed facts to the public about what our leaders are doing. That is the very definition of journalism. Yet Julian Assange is not a hero in America's newsrooms. He's an enemy. Assange made the mistake of offending the media's real constituency, which is not the public, but the powerful. For doing this, journalists accuse Assange of being what they are, a political operative posing as a reporter. In 2010, Assange and his organization, WikiLeaks, published an enormous cache of secret documents that revealed what the U.S. government had been doing in Iraq. Included was a 38-minute gun sight video that depicted Apache helicopters mowing down a group of civilians in Baghdad, including two Reuters employees. The video was a problem for the government because officials had lied about what happened that day. At one point, the Pentagon claimed the video didn't even exist. Assange proved that it did. A few years later, Assange upended a presidential race by publishing a trove of internal emails from the Democratic Party. Democrats claimed the emails had been hacked by the Russian government, but they hadn't been. That was a lie. The emails had been leaked from within the DNC itself, almost certainly by a disgruntled employee. Those emails proved that Hillary Clinton's campaign had rigged the 2016 Democratic primary against Bernie Sanders. It was the scoop of the decade, but it was only one of many that Julian Assange broke. For the crime of upstaging them and embarrassing their patrons, the media hated Julian Assange even more. And especially with Assange, what, what bothers me the most is that he hides under this sort of broad definition of a journalist. And we have to come out and say that this is not, you know, stealing and, and using disinformation for a foreign government yeah. is not journalism. This is a no-brainer. This guy, Julian Assange, directed and led an organization that led to the largest breach of classified information in U.S. history. This is not some do-gooder whistleblower. Assange is a criminal. He's damaged national security. Assange isn't a journalist. He's a criminal, squeaked the faithful servants of power. 
Embarrassed governments around the world agreed. The government of Sweden, acting in concert with British authorities, charged Assange with a fake sex crime. He's a rapist, they said. Global media amplified the lie. Ultimately, the charges were dropped for lack of evidence. But by that point, Julian Assange was a prisoner. He'd been driven into internal exile in the Ecuadorian embassy in London, where he sought political asylum. He spent more than seven years there, unable to leave. Then, in 2017, Assange broke his last big story. WikiLeaks revealed the existence of an illegal CIA spying program. Assange withheld most of the details of that program so as not to compromise American national security. But the story was still deeply humiliating to the CIA. In Washington, CIA director Mike Pompeo decided to murder him. Pompeo discussed with his deputies how the CIA might kidnap Assange from the embassy in London or poison him inside. That is not conjecture. Multiple witnesses heard Mike Pompeo say that. At the time, keep in mind, Julian Assange had not been charged with any crime in the United States. Mike Pompeo considered it a death penalty offense to embarrass the CIA. You may be asking, is any of this legal? Can federal appointees use tax dollars to kill people who annoy them? Well, not technically. Mike Pompeo committed a felony, conspiracy to commit murder. And yet somehow, Mike Pompeo is not in prison. Instead, he's the toast of the donor class, a friend and advisor to the most powerful people in America. It's Julian Assange who's in prison for the crime of offending Mike Pompeo. Assange is currently being held behind bars by the British government, which has not charged him with any crime. Assange now sits in the most fortified penitentiary in the UK, Belmarsh, where every murderer in London is held. He's been there for more than four years, trapped in solitary confinement, cut off from his wife and two children, wasting away alone among killers and mental patients and awaiting extradition to the United States for trial. Assange has been charged in the U.S. under the century-old Espionage Act, a transparently unconstitutional law which is used almost exclusively to punish political crimes. Yet Julian Assange has never committed espionage. Nor does the U.S. government have any real interest in trying him under that law. His current incarceration is the whole point. Torture Assange to death in jail so he will never again speak publicly. It's all so grotesque and so immoral that it's hard to believe it's actually happening in public view. Belmarsh authorities will not allow Assange to be interviewed, lest his case bring more embarrassment to the CIA. But we decided to travel there to see him anyway. You know what? I think there's only one one investigative reporter besides Tucker Carlson that would have uh, brought this to our attention, and that would be our own Steve Baker. And it's Tuesday, and it's about to start the second hour. And what do we do every Tuesday in the second hour? We talk to Steve Baker. I'm dialing him now. Mr. Baker, are you there yet? He is not here yet. You know, I did what uh, everybody's not supposed to do. Are you there, Steve-O? <laughs> I can't believe this. Well, let me do this. This is critical. We got to get Steve on for this. We haven't taken our second break of the hour. So we're going to listen 
to this break. And during the break, I'm going to figure out where the heck Steve is. (laughs) We're back in a second. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents A Word From Your Wallet. Are we at the gas station? Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. Get cracking and feel unbeatable with new omelet bites from Dunkin'. Bacon and cheddar or egg white and veggie. Made with cage-free eggs and packed with protein. Take on the day with new omelet bites from Dunkin'. America runs on Dunkin'. When playing football, you run up to 120 pitches. You work out 650 muscles. You withstand three times your body weight. You treble your adrenaline production. You raise your heartbeat to 180 times per minute. And in the end, you lose up to three liters of sweat for one goal. This game is not a game. I'll take a Coke. Is Pepsi okay? Is Pepsi okay? Is Pepsi okay? Ow! Are puppies okay? Is a shooting star okay? Is the laughter of a small child okay? Um, Are you with me? You seem confused. Let's role play. Now. Uh, okay, I'm Steve. I'm an actor. No, no, and... no. Just order something. Uh, I'll have... You will have a nice cold glass of the best thing you ever tasted. Okay? Okay. I think you might be just saying it wrong. You gotta say it with pride. Okay? Okay. Oh, yeah. Kind of. Pepsi's more than okay. It's... Okay! Okay, what have we learned today? You want a Pepsi? I want a Pepsi. She wants a Pepsi. There you go. Okay! My little John. Okay! I've got to come up with my own catchphrase. Okay! The Truth and Dan Newman. Goes together like beans and rice, brats and kraut, you and the future. TNN, the Truth News Network. I think Steve is with us. Are you there, my friend? I'm here, if you can hear me this time. Got you this time. You're on the road, and it wasn't your fault. It was a little uh, glitch (laughs) here in the studio. I'm sure you've had one of those happen every now and then. Every once in a while. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, where, yeah. where are you headed? Well, I'm uh, in Wilmington, North Carolina right now. I'm headed down to North Myrtle, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, to extend my holiday vacation for a couple of days with my son. So we're going to um, meet down there and hang out for a few days and uh, before I have to head back to D.C. again. That's going to be a fun time. It's always good to be with children, and especially when you live kind of apart from each other. We were blessed yesterday. Yes. We had all of our kids and grandkids and in-laws. We had a, a big Christmas, so I'm glad you had one, too. I, I didn't talk to you before Christmas, but uh, I hope you had a good one. And it's going to get better. Absolutely. Yes. Well. Amen to that. Yeah. 
I want to dive right into it. You just heard that uh, report from uh, Tucker Carlson. Did any of that surprise you? <laughs> well, of course it doesn't surprise me in the least, but you know there's there's several things that we can we can dive into here. I mean, for, first of all, there's no such thing as a federal whistleblower protection for journalists. Um, there should be. Uh, it's called First Amendment, <laughs> and and there is of course plenty of court precedent involved uh, with journalists and their you know their their rights to their work their rights to uh, what they release the rights to how they acquire uh, uh, sources and information but we're seeing more and more and more of this uh, persecution from our own federal government but this is this is not just with journalists you know I, I did a three-hour podcast on Thursday with uh, three FBI whistleblowers. Uh, Kyle Serafin, Garrett O'Boyle, and Steve Friend. And these are the, the three that have had the most impact since January 6th with their whistleblowing activity. And all of those individuals, despite the fact that they have applied legally, properly, the right paperwork, everything that you can do to do it right, they were all subject to incredible persecution uh, from the federal government, despite the fact that they did, in fact, um, come out uh, correctly and properly within the guidelines, but that's that's just true throughout the um, throughout the system. Whether we're talking about Edward Snowden, whether we're talking about Julian Assange, whether we're talking about FBI whistleblowers, Capitol Police whistleblowers, it doesn't matter. They're all being hit hard. Now, if you if you come out and you you maybe you find something that your superior um, in your your division of whatever agency you're working for is embezzling funds or misappropriating funds and you whistleblow on that, you're probably going to get protection. But when you actually come out with whistleblower um, information as to corruption in your department, then you are going to more than likely uh, be subjected to the ire of those superiors. And that's what they're, that's what they're doing in so many cases. In this process, which is supposed to be a process that anybody can bring facts to the public sector, can say anything without retribution, and I, I kind of feel like, I don't remember exactly when, but when this was put in place, we didn't hear much about being uh, harassed if you're a whistleblower. It seemed like the process was working good. Maybe it wasn't. And we just didn't hear about it. I don't know. But there's got to be somebody or some bodies. I don't think it's across the government. I don't believe there's a, a big conspiracy across the government to attack whistleblowers. But at some point, it sure made a big turn to the left. And somebody or some bodies have made it okay for the establishment government to just go after whistleblowers when the whole process, as you just described, was to protect people who were simply coming forward to telling the truth. Do you know anybody or bodies in your research? Have you found anybody that initiated this or put it together? Obviously, a bunch of people made it okay, but do we have any structure or IDs at, at all? Well, right now, Dan... As you know, everything has turned completely political. 
And when the, you know, the long march through the institutions have, has happened over the last couple of decades, and they have successfully been replacing the leadership. If we're talking about Department of Defense, if we're talk, talking about the um, intelligence agencies, we're talking about the FBI, uh, we're talking about all of these. They have become political in their upper tier uh, administration to the point of being leftist insurgents, leftist activists. These are not necessarily even in many of these institutions qualified in the very um, uh, uh, activities or the, 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 the area of expertise that they're supposed to be qualified in. What they're most qualified in is uh, is holding and withhold or upholding the party line. And that's what has become the problem. And obviously, we saw a huge um, uh, initiation towards this move to the left and at the top in the leadership of these institutions uh, with the Patriot Act. We all, you know, after 9-11, we all thought, okay, you know, this, this maybe is going to be okay. Uh, there were a lot of warnings, you know, that you had the Ron Pauls that were screaming bloody murder going, don't do this, don't do this. But uh, by and large, even on the right, the GOP, the Republicans uh, thought, okay, this is okay because they're going to be given more power to protect us from uh, threats uh, external to the country. But what it did is it gave them more power and leverage to to violate our rights and the Bill of Rights uh, without warrants, without uh, pro uh, due process as they go uh, against us. And then there has been just, as I said, this concerted effort to supplant experts in the field with political operatives. And that's the reason why we're seeing now this, this um, uh, there's no other way to say it. It, it, it is an absolute persecution against those who are coming out with truth and saying, wait a minute, these are violations of Americans' rights. And that's where a lot of these whistleblowers are coming from. When you're talking about, for instance, uh, the whistleblower, FBI whistleblower Steve Friend, who I did the podcast with the other day, he, he is a guy who just said, no, I'm, I'm not going to allow you to pull me off of um, cases where I'm working on against child trafficking, child pornography, and then you're going to have me go and SWAT misdemeanor J6 defendants? Are you kidding me? And so he filed proper paperwork as a whistleblower. And, of course, they immediately suspended him. They took his badge. They took his gun. They took his pay away from him. They suspended him without pay. And this is true of all three of those whistleblowers that I mentioned earlier. Uh, all doing similar things as it relates to the fact that the agency itself was doing things they had never done before and literally going against their own charter and against their own directives uh, in order to initiate these uh, arrests and in the manner that they were initiating this arrest against January 6th defendants. And of course, when we're talking about you know Julian Assange or, or Edward Snowden, or if we're talking about myself and the persecution that we're up against right now, this is, this is, this is endemic right now throughout the entire system. You know, it would seem to me with so much capability with media and cell phones and the Internet that it would take a massive group of people to create this network that seems to permeate every part of our government. And it, it obviously 
happened over a long period of time. But I would think with that, and I may be wrong, that may be a conspiracy theory myself. I, I don't know. But it would seem like it would involve so many people over so many years that it would become common knowledge. Oh, he's doing this, and he's the one that does that, and they're the ones that create that inside operation that only people that are in the inner circle can know about. It would come to the news media, but I never hear any revelations about any of that. Have you? Well, <laughs> look, you, you know you know that I'm very well networked right now on the inside of what's happening with these things. And these are huge concerns among those of us that are looking at these issues. And and we're not just seeing it with the more high profile journalists like Assange, but there are so many of these journalists that are being, um, uh, I mean, we're, we're, we're looking at a quite a large number of guys that came from the left that are being quote unquote red pilled just because of this new um, initiative by these organizations and agencies to attack journalists that are telling the truth. If we're talking about the Twitter files, we're talking about uh, whether it's Matt Taibbi, whether it's uh, Schellenberger, whether it's, um, uh, uh, gosh, there's just uh, Cheryl Atkinson. There's all of these journalists that originally have been writing for the left, but because of what they're seeing happening with against speech, against journalism, they are being red-pilled by this, and they're becoming awakened to the fact that there's something dark and nefarious happening, and it's happening deliberately to try and control information. And, of course, we can go back and talk about COVID. We can talk about the social media um, uh, deplatforming and shadow banning of all the contrary voices that were against the regime's narrative then. We can talk about January 6th. We can talk about the election fraud. We can talk about any number of these things. And all of that is pointing back to now actual attacks against journalists for bringing out information that reveals uh, disinformation, corruption, and propaganda on the left. And we can go, I mean, Dan, we can go all the way to climate change uh, and all of these things now. I mean, we have, we have, we have actual lawmakers on the record that want to imprison climate deniers. They've said that on the record. I know you've heard that. Oh yeah. And this is, this is the kind of uh, initiative that only comes from this radical neo-Marxist insurgence that's happening in this country right now. And they are scared to death of truth of free speech, of actual real science getting out, whether we're talking about COVID or climate change, they don't want to hear that. They don't want to see that, and they want to suppress that at all levels. And so they're doing it throughout the institutions. We're seeing the the mainstream media is coalescing around this idea. They're part of that uh, cartel, as I usually refer to it. Uh, and and as I said, it, it didn't just start with the Patriot Act, although it found a, a lot of uh, um, acceleration there, but then, of course, with the Obama administration, be- began the real concerted uh, uh, replacement of all of the heads of these institutions during that time. It's continuing again with the Biden administration, and um, unfortunately, we didn't get enough 
help from uh, President Trump during his four years to stop that. You know, he was going to drain the swamp, but either depending upon what you how you want to look at it, he either did not make the effort that we would hope he had made or he didn't have time. And as a result of the the COVID situation in his last year of his administration, that basically all got halted and it accelerated even more and even further. But we're we're looking at a, a very, very uh, interesting, <laughs> to say the least, but more, uh, more accurately, a very dangerous time in our country's history right now. Several things came to me as I listened to this uh, Tucker revelation coming from his conversation, his meeting with Julian Assange. First of all, Tucker didn't seem alarmed or shocked at anything that he said that Assange told him. It was like, well, I knew about that, but yeah, give me the details. What about Mike Pompeo? That floored oh. me. That floored me when I heard that. Yeah. I, knew, I knew he was a CIA director. And, uh, yep. you know, in the CIA, we have this basic idea. You and I make fun of them all the time. In fact, because of you, they became regular listens to this show uh, <laughs> <laughs> from their computers in Langley, Virginia. But so, Sorry about that. <laughs> no, that's okay. They found me. They know who I am if they didn't before. Anyway, my, my thought is it was like commonplace when Tucker said, you know, Mike Pompeo, he, uh, he was going to just reach out and kill him because he couldn't change him, couldn't do anything about it. Do you believe that? Unfortunately, Dan, I do. And I'm, I'm one of those guys who studied the JFK assassination yeah. going back 40 years ago. Yeah. And I was never one that was immediately willing to buy in to the conspiracy or the possibility that our own government at the highest levels, whether it was the CIA or whether it was uh, Lyndon uh, Baines Johnson that was actively involved in the planning of that assassination. But after uh, RFK Jr.'s recent um, uh, revelations on this subject, it, it leads me to being open to anything at this point. Dan, and, and especially with what I see that they're doing now, not, you know, I'm, I'm obviously hypersensitive to all of this personally at the at present time. I, you know, I, I have, I have called out and asked specifically for my investigators, those who have been looking at me for two and a half, almost three years now uh, to figure out how to shut me up and how to bring charges against me. I have openly called for these guys to not only rethink what they're doing, but to ask themselves the question, would you feel better about yourself? Could you sleep better at night? Can you look at your children? Can you look at yourself in the mirror knowing what you're doing against myself and other individuals who reported on January 6th in the manner that we did peacefully, without violence, without property destruction, behaving ourselves as journalists that day, regardless of what we said before or after, regardless of what our words are on the record. But can you look at yourself in the mirror and, and actually feel good about yourself knowing that you're not doing the work of protecting American citizens against real crime, against real fraud, against real uh, threats against this country while you're going after misdemeanor defendants and journalists? 
for their work on January 6th. And we have, we have to put that out there to them. And I'm, you know, look, I, I was, I'll give you, I'll give you a little bit of a scoop here today. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, as, as you know, I covered the John Sullivan trial here several weeks ago in DC. Yes. John Sullivan was the known, uh, Antifa and BLM activist who recorded and captured on video the shooting of Ashley Babbitt. And, of course, over the course of the last three years, there have been untold number of conspiracy theories related to his capturing of that video. Everything from all of those people in that uh, speaker's lobby hallway were crisis actors. Ashley Babbitt wasn't really killed. She was a crisis actor. She's in hiding somewhere today, living on a beach in Fiji or something like that, you know, getting her reward for her part in the, in the conspiracy. And of course that's all a load of crap because I saw her dead myself with my own eyes. And, and the, um, uh, and then the conspiracies around John Sullivan as a BLM Antifa activist are, are understandable. I mean, I spent over two years myself believing that he was an organizer of a large number of Antifa people that he led and that acted as provocateurs there on January 6th. And my own research, my own investigations, my own time speaking with him, with his family, with his brother, his mother, have led me to believe that he was a lone wolf. Did he have designs? Did he want to be bigger than he was? Did he want to be a leader? Uh, yeah, but you know what? He he wasn't. He, he was there by himself with his documentarian. Her name is Jade Sacker. And, um, and she was doing a documentary on on um, uh, he and his brother, who is the GOP Republican activist. So it's the two brothers that grew up. They're, they're adopted black children that grew up in a white Mormon family to a father that was a, uh, a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. And this, this all just is great fodder for conspiracy theories. But the point being is, is that this girl had become interested in them as a documentarian because of the two brothers' opposite paths that they had taken, one to the hard left with Antifa and BLM, the other one to the hard right. And so she was interested in that story. And by the time January 6th rolled around, it was nothing more than just this lone wolf activist who had all of the kind of language that you and I don't like, all the kind of stands that you and I would despise, the types of political views that are antithetical to both me and you and our audience here today. And I'm here to tell you that after covering his trial and seeing him convicted of seven crimes uh, that he was charged with, a couple of those being felonies, that really and truly he was convicted of the same thing that they're convicting so many others of. And that's just more than anything else. It's his speech and not his deeds. He did no violence that day. He had very inflammatory language, language that you and I don't like. And uh, I'm interviewing, I've interviewed his brother and I'm interviewing his parents tomorrow. And this is going to become quite a, quite a big story that's going to shock a lot of people. They're not going to like it when I say it. But at the end of the day, it seems like the government is just going after people for the words we say. And Dan, I've written millions of words 
they're going to be able to piece together, as I've seen them do in these trials, any number of uh, sliced, diced, and highly edited um, words, sentences, paragraphs of mine over the last 25 years to try and paint me as some sort of revolutionary when, of course, I've never called for any type of armed revolution against our government or anything of the sort. But I've seen them, what they've done. I've seen what they did to the Oath Keepers. I've seen what they did to John Sullivan. I've seen what they did to Stephen Horn, another independent journalist whose trial I covered in D.C. And I know exactly what they're going to do. And believe it or not, John Sullivan spoke to his mom a couple of days from his jail cell there in D.C., where he's being held pre, pre-sentencing, and he expressed to her his concern for me. And he said, please, he told his mom this. He said, please tell Steve not to write anything else about J6. They're going to use all of his words against him. They are relentless. They're going to destroy him. And, of course, my my response to his mother this morning was, well, unfortunately, it's too late for that. <laughs> I've written dozens of articles. Uh, God knows how many social media posts. Um, they've got me if they want me. That jet has taken off uh, and yeah. probably um, – they're going to use some things you have said on this show. But that, can you believe? Can you believe? Can you believe an Antifa activist is concerned about me? Yeah. This is the. This is how. <laughs> this is how upside down world that we're living in right now. Let me tell you where I am me, in my thinking about this whole thing. I I learned a long time ago when I started doing this, and I'm sure you have at some point. You, you stop, and, and I say this all the time. In fact, I think I've said it with you on the show. When a politician is standing there and he's waving his hand in the air and he's saying, look at this, look at this, look at this. What we always, every time needed to do is don't pay any attention to what he's waving around in the front. Find the left arm that's behind his back. That's where the truth is. Yeah. I don't and I can't. I have tried, and I'm not a stupid individual. I have tried to wrap my brains around what the heck is the end goal that all of these people, I mean, we're learning all the time. I, I learned from what Tucker said today. I've always questioned um, the former CIA director just because he was the former CIA director. I mean, you look at some of the CIA directors, well, uh, Bush 43 41, Bush 41 was the head of the uh, yeah. CIA. You look at John Brennan, where is he gone now? I mean, he's probably proven to be over and over and over again one of the most unbelievably wicked and law-breaking members of any administration. And then you got Mike out there now, and you wonder, he, everybody thought, I thought he was going to run, he was going to make a bid for the presidency. And he just got kind of quiet all of a sudden. But what is the end goal? And the only realistic answer I keep coming up with, and I don't even want to talk about it and don't, because I'm immediately going to be labeled a conspiracy theorist. The only thing that I can figure out all of these different people, different backgrounds, different circumstances, but they all seem to have something in common. What is it? And I've dug and I've looked and I've listened. And it comes down to this. A government 
comprised of a small number, or it could be a large number of people in the government, but it's known that a small group are the ones that call all the shots. And to have it such that using J6 as the first test to see if it would work, shut the mouths of people because they're scared of what you're going to do to them if you open your mouth and tell the truth. Facts are what they say. Facts are not what facts are. And I keep coming back to that. You can call it whatever you want. The one world government, whatever you want to call it. But you see these hardcore leftists getting harder and harder. They've quit trying to hide a lot of the stuff. Now they just throw it out there and they don't care what we think. They just go ahead and do it. I, I, I'm, I'm almost fearful. And you and I are Christians. We know the end is coming at some point and neither one of us is worried about what the other side of death looks like because we're Christians and we shouldn't be fearful. But yesterday... I spent all day yesterday and the night before with my six grandkids. It's scary for them. You were with your son. What's going to happen to the next generation and the one after that? And is the United States of America doomed to fail? Those are questions I never thought I would ask. But I'm not just asking them now just to kind of throw it out there. I really want to know. Dan, I I will tell you that we are seeing a blanket of fear that's being thrown across the American people to silence us. And that's the examples that they are trying to set right now, whether it's Assange, whether it's Snowden, whether it's Steve Friend, Kyle Serafin, um, Garrett O'Boyle, or Steve Baker. It is a blanket of fear that they are trying to throw over us so that we comport with the approved narratives, regardless of what that narrative is. And if we step out of line, they're going to make examples of us in a large and public way, which is exactly why if you saw, if you saw the um, latest uh, Dinesh D'Souza movie, Police State, if you haven't seen it, all of your listeners need to go watch that movie. Uh, And there is a uh, example given where um, the the actor um, um, oh God, Nick Searcy, who uh, played uh, the U.S. Marshal uh, uh, office head in uh, the, the the series Justified, and he's playing the role of the uh, head of the FBI field office in this particular movie. And in this movie, it's a you know it's there's some uh, dramatic scenes that are written into the documentary. And at one point, where he's ordering the arrest of these January 6th defendants, he says very clearly, make sure that the media is notified and we perp walk them and we get it on television. Well, you go all the way back to the very first arrest of a J6 defendant in Florida. He was an independent journalist. He was a professional um, uh, photojournalist, videographer. He was on, under contract to a news agency at the time. And but he was also a Trump activist and had been active in in a lot of um, uh, his Hispanic. His name is J.D. Rivera. He had uh, been uh, active with uh, Latinos for Trump movement. And so the very first thing that happened to him when he was swatted early early in the morning as the very first defendant arrested in Florida is the very television station out of Mobile, Alabama, that he was contracted with to release his videos from January 6th to 
they, the FBI notified them and they were sitting across the street videoing his arrest. That's exactly the template that they set. And that's what's been happening ever since is they want to scare us from speaking out and doing and saying and participating anything in anything that is quote unquote, not allowed. So and that's where we're headed. Right. Now. So what do we do, Steve? How do we handle this? How do not just Christians, but Americans, free loving Americans, Thursday, prime example, Heritage Foundation. They filed a lawsuit against the DOD. You remember that? The DOD stopped, terminated a bunch of screenings of that movie, Sound of Freedom. Now, why the heck would they not want our military members to know about child trafficking and how rampant it is across the United States? Our government stopped it. Our government stopped it. That's scary. Government is sticking their fingers in every part of our life, and they don't care if we think they should or shouldn't. Look at last week. We all applauded. There were several really positive things that happened in the judiciary system. Look at the Donald Trump stuff and what the Supreme Court came out. I saw people clapping, excited about finally, it looks like something honest and legal is going to come out of one part of our government. And then they're already hiding out and threatening the Supreme Court justices over those several cases that are pending that will determine who's going to be the next president. It's it's like it's brainwashing part of our population. I don't know who's doing it, but they're doing it purposefully. It's very structured. It's very organized. And then you go back and look at history. There are numerous times in cases in other nations over centuries where the same kind of stuff happened. But the thing, the question that still bothers me, you're a smart guy. I'm a smart guy. You're more plugged in, far more plugged in than I am about the political horrors that are playing out of Washington, D.C. But I can't find a person or a specific group of people that are putting the, they're the the players and the shakers in this whole thing, putting it all together and throwing it out there. And it's almost, you have that sense of foreboding. You think about going and digging into that last possibility that could be a, a fact. And it's like, I, I don't know if I really want to know that. <laughs> it's like, leave it alone. Yeah. And if you adopt that, if I adopt that, they're winning. Well, Dan, the answer to your question is, is that every single person within the sound of our voices right now has to throw off that blanket of fear and they have to become as vocal and as active in their local politics as they absolutely can. We have to take over the school boards. We have to take over the local city councils, the town councils. Uh, We have to become uh, vocal on social media. We have to not give into this. And that's, that is the only answer is we have to take the exact opposite approach. There is no other answer, Dan. I mean, short of uh, the, the, the most horrific thing that we can think of, which of course is none of us want. We don't want that for your grandchildren. I don't want this for my son. I don't want civil war. I don't want fighting in the streets over this. But we have to exercise the remaining rights that we have right now. And we have to stand up for what we believe in. And we have to shout it from the housetops. 
we have to say no more. You're not going to do this anymore. And we have to come to the aid. We have to we have to form our own rallies. We have to do these things, despite the fact that they're trying everything in their power to scare us away from exercising those rights. And and you know what? Unfortunately, there's going to be casualties of that First Amendment war. Let's just call it that because I no. don't want a battle in the streets with guns. No. But there's going to be casualties of that. I may be a casualty of that war. I may be somebody that has to has to carry that flag into battle. And uh, it remains to be seen. You know, we talked in depth last week about my current situation. But if if it has to be that way, then so be it. But we're, we're going to need more of these whistleblowers to be brave enough to come forward and they're going to have to take a stand. Um, look, we, we know that there's still some good guys in these agencies. We know that they're there. We know that they are scared. They are, they have their own mortgages. They have their own children to feed. They're trying to get in their last couple of years before they can earn their pensions. And so they've got their heads down and they're being quiet and they're following orders. And that's the exact opposite of what they need to do. If all of them that really believe in the words that I'm saying right now and that they're the guys that are setting the examples like Kyle and Garrett and Steve friend and those guys that are setting that example, if they, if they all would set that example at once, then the government couldn't re uh, take retribution. They would make an impact, but they're going to have to listen to the sound of my voice and they're going to have to come forward. And I, and I, I will say it again to those who are listening to us right now. And that is simply this. I have served up to them on a silver platter with an antique linen, corruption, lying, perjury in trials, the people who put them up to perjury in these trials. And I have showed them who they need to go after for the salvation of our country, and they're not doing it. Instead, they're coming after me. Kill the messenger. If that's if that's what they want, then that is exactly what they're going to get, and they are going to get a country that they are going to be horrified by because they themselves will ultimately be the targets as well. I think we're beginning. Nobody to see, will be safe. I think we're beginning to see a little bit of that. The big, the big quiet monster called the United States of America population. I think it's beginning to turn a little bit. Look at the most recent stuff. The Palestinian anti-Israeli stuff. People are turning around now and realizing, wait a minute, wait a minute. These people are wanting to kill Americans. On Christmas Day, New York, they were all over New York. They were screaming and wanted yeah. to kill people, murder people. And they're normalizing yeah. that or trying to normalize that. I, I won't keep you a whole yeah. lot longer. Let me, let me just say this. I know you're crossing paths with a whole lot of people that are plugged in in many different ways, but would you do this for us? You and I talk all the time. When you reach another patriot, somebody that has a really good message and needs a place to talk about their message and get through, point them our way. I, you know, I, I, I can't tell you how our people like having you on just because you're telling them things that they may have thought, but they're scared to think further into that process because they don't want to go down a rabbit hole. They want to know the truth. They want to make good choices based upon facts 
Everybody needs more factual information. That's the only reason I'm doing what we do here. You pretty much the same way. We're all in. But we need to get the voices of some regular American people that are not going to spend the time and don't have the uh, availability to sources like you and I do. But yet we need to make more and more people aware of what you just said. We've got to all get aboard this ship. We've got to. It's got to be a unified thing. And if the government and these people wake up and realize just how large the pushback is in the United States, that may change the way we go. It may take two or three generations. Hey, we didn't get here in two or three generations. It was several hundred years. And if we want to save what we have and make it better, if we're not engaged, I don't see how that's going to happen. I had a, an encrypted message yesterday, a holiday, you know, well wishes, Merry Christmas message from a uh, retired uh, special forces operative who is one of my sources. And, and he brought tears to my eyes for two different reasons. When I read his message, he said to me that I am setting an example of bravery for others. And then it hit me that he too is scared to come forward. Wow. And because, because of what he can lose. Yeah. Yeah. And we need those guys all to step forward now. And I don't know. He, I don't know if he listens to TNN live. I don't know if he'll hear me say this on this broadcast today, but we need all of those guys to go ahead and understand that they have to join us in this first amendment battle now. And their, their voices have to be heard because they carry credibility that I don't have. You don't have, and they can, point to the inside and say, this is what I saw during my time working for these agencies, working alongside the CIA overseas. These are the things that I thought I was doing for God and country. And now I'm seeing them being used against us. The, the tools that we developed 15 years ago overseas, whether it was in uh, the Middle East, whether it was in Ukraine, whether it was in Central America, the things that were tested and the things that were done to try and create, uh, quote unquote, uh, uh, democracies in other parts of the land are now being twisted and used against us. And I, I mean, I, I will tell you a quote from this gentleman that I got a year ago when I first met him. He said, um, based on, I can't, I can't tell you what he was involved in, but when he was, he was what they call, he was seconded to the CIA in an operation overseas. And as he said, I thought I was doing the work of God and country at the time. And then I woke up one morning and saw what was happening here. And I said, my God, what have I done? Mm. You're not supposed to have to have those thoughts. This is America. And I'm not, and I don't want to have this information, Dan. Yeah. Uh, well, it takes a nation, and we're supposed to be one. And the other side, whoever comprises the other side, they are working 24-7 to keep us divided. And the easiest way to do that division thing 
is keep us confused. They're doing a good job of that, I would say. I would agree. Steve-O, thank you again. You have a great trip up to D.C. If you get any other news or you need anything from us, just give me a call and let me know. We'll do it. Thank you, Dan. Wow. Steve Baker again. And he's right on every time he's here. Spread the word. Spread the word. If you're spreading the word is only to give somebody the access. Tell them, here's what you need to listen to live, TNN Live. And get them to come listen. And if they say, I can't listen for two hours, just tell them, go get the podcast after the fact. It's it's available on 30-plus different sites. And share, talk. We can't be quiet and expect things to change on their own. It just does not happen that way. This is your home. This is your family room slash gym. The guest bedroom slash music studio. The day bed slash dog bed. The living room slash yoga shanti slash regional office. How did you guys do it? Slash classroom. And this is the basement slash panic room. Maybe what your family needs is a vacation home slash vacation home. Find yours on the Verbo app. Your true friends are the people in your life that totally get your inside jokes, your unique style, most important, what you want to eat. Taco Bell knows that when you get together with your real friends, it doesn't matter what you're doing, but hey, it might as well be something that everybody can get into, like the taco and burrito cravings pack with four crunchy tacos and four beefy five-layer burritos. So even if you're all sitting around doing absolutely nothing, you know you'll still have a good time. It's Taco Bell's Taco and Burrito Cravings Pack. Get it for the friends that get it. For a limited time at participating Taco Bell locations near you. Biggie bag, huh? It's new from Wendy's. It's everything you ever wanted for just five bucks. Everything I ever wanted? Wendy's bacon double stack, four nuggets, fries, a drink, and the spelling bee medal you lost in second grade because you couldn't spell soliloquy. It really is everything I ever wanted. Get a bacon double stack with a quarter pound of fresh beef, nuggets, fries, and a drink for just five bucks. Wendy's Biggie Bag is everything you ever wanted. Sorry, I'm going to need all that back. Really? When you choose a great-tasting Miller Lite, you're choosing on taste. And that's the right choice, not the wrong choice, because right is way better than wrong. You don't try to do the wrong thing. Wrong on, brother? Back off, and I don't even know you. If someone asks you if everything's all wrong, ask them to pull your finger. Ever read the Bill of Wrongs? It was written by James Battison and John Saddams. Drawing a wrong triangle? Place this protractor at 90 degrees and sit on it. What's wrong around the corner? An 8-foot ex-con named Tiny, and he wants your wallet. That's wrong up your alley, just like the drifter feeding moldy muffin stumps to his 13 hairless cats. Got a wrong hand man? I've got a cousin named Randall with clammy hands. The customer's always wrong? Well, that explains the waiter's creepy grin as I ate my toast. Two wrongs do make a wrong. Am I wrong? Wrong. So don't make the wrong choice. Make the right choice and choose on taste. Triple hops brewed Miller Lite. Taste greatness. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Great beer, great responsibility. It's kind of applicable music to play, right? Sounds kind of mysterious and spooky. Hey, Steve mentioned Dinesh D'Souza's latest documentary. It's called Police State. 
And it was out, came out live theaters around the United States, but it is available now. I have the link to the documentary. It's absolutely free. It's an hour and 50 minutes long. It'll make your hair stand on end. I don't have any hair. And it made my hair on the back of my neck stand up. It's full of facts and it opens people's eyes. Not a fear factor thing. It's not something to get you fearful. It's to get you facts. So I'm going to make it really easy for you. You know my my uh, email address, dan at truthnewsnet.org. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. Just send me an email. And as far as putting anything in the email, here's what you do. Just write a question mark in the middle. You don't have to comment or say anything else. Put a question mark. I'll paste the link that you can go to to get and watch this absolutely free. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. More news coming out from over in the Middle East. Yeah, this is really getting really, really tough over there. And uh, I think this is going to turn into a lot longer than even the length that we thought it might get to. Because there are too many players in this. There are too many people involved in it, too many nations, too many uh, sects, S-E-C-T-S, that are involved in it for it to ever end peaceably and certainly quickly. More news coming out right now. Israeli forces have stepped up air and ground shelling in Gaza, leaving vast areas of the enclave in ruins. The fresh assaults follow more tough talk from Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who says there will not be any peace until Hamas is destroyed. Mr Netanyahu visited northern Gaza yesterday. He told his troops that the battle is far from over, dismissing any speculation of a halt to the fighting. He said Israel would not succeed in freeing its remaining hostages held by Hamas without applying military pressure. Now, the army said it has struck more than 100 targets over a 24-hour period. And these include military sites and tunnel shafts in southern and central Gaza. Palestinian officials say ongoing airstrikes and bombardment are taking place near the Burej, Nusarat and Magazi refugee camps. Authorities report more than 200 people have been killed and 500 others injured in central Gaza. Hundreds of the wounded were seen arriving at the Nasser Hospital in Khan Yunis, the largest medical facility in the southern Gaza Strip. Over in the West Bank, two Palestinians have been killed in an Israeli raid on a refugee camp near the city of Hebron. Gaza's health ministry said more than 300 people in the West Bank have been killed since the war erupted, most of them women and children. Well, the risk of the conflict spilling over to the broader region is rising. Iraq has condemned U.S. airstrikes in the country, calling them a hostile act that violated its sovereignty. American forces targeted three sites used by pro-Iranian fighters in Iraq, saying it was in response to attacks on U.S. personnel in the Middle East. And these include one on Erbil Air Base yesterday, which wounded three American troops. And Baghdad reported that the U.S. strikes killed one member of Iraq's security forces, while at least 18 others, including civilians, were wounded. The retaliatory action was reportedly conducted in Babylon and Wasit provinces.
The drone attack on U.S. forces yesterday has been claimed by the Islamic resistance in Iraq. And that group says it's opposed to American support for Israel's offensive in Gaza. The U.S. military has repeatedly targeted sites used by Iran and its proxy forces in Iraq and Syria. It says its troops have come under attack at least 100 times in the region since the Israel-Hamas war began nearly three months ago. Let's get more now from Trent Murray. He's joining us live from Tel Aviv. Now, Trent, uh, what is the international community and the international aid community doing in response to the surge in these attacks and, of course, that worsening humanitarian situation in Gaza? Well, there's not a lot they can do on the ground. That is sort of the, the cold, brutal reality of the situation. The, the, the fighting there is just so intense. It's very difficult for international organisations to get in there and help uh, those people that desperately need it. We, of course, are hearing publicly them express concern and, and step up calls for a ceasefire in order to try and get that much-needed humanitarian aid in. Uh, we know there are shortages of food, of medicine, of water. We know there's no hospital operating anymore in northern Gaza and that is why the likes of UN Secretary Antonio Guterres is asking for a pause in the fighting to try and get some of those much needed supplies into people that need them. We know roughly 90% of people living in Gaza now, the population around 2 million, are effectively displaced or homeless and continue to have to be shuffled around within that tight area of space uh, as the fighting moves from one sector to another. But what the Israelis are saying is that they are not going to slow down in their war goals, which is to eradicate Hamas. And they say that Hamas is using civilians as human shields. That's their expression. Uh, and they say they are also using civilian infrastructure to carry out attacks uh, on Israeli troops. They released video overnight of the Indonesian hospital in northern Gaza where they said weapons were being stored by Hamas and they also said they found a car there with an Israeli licence plate that they believe was taken uh, on October 7th. Uh, they found bloodstains in that car and they believe they belong to a former hostage now who we know has died. So look, I, I think both sides here are, are showing little sign of slowing down in the fighting. Hamas continues to fire rockets towards Israel, uh, set sort of 81 days into the war, still with that capability. Benjamin Netanyahu speaking to his troops uh, during the visit to the region uh, is saying that Israel is not going to stop its war until it achieves all of its goals in its entirety. It's not getting any better over there, is it? Even back here, protesters yesterday, they gathered outside the homes of two of Joe Biden's administration officials chanting in support of Palestine. The homes of Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, located in both Virginia and Washington, D.C., were bombarded with pro-Palestine protesters. Video footage from the protest outside of Austin's house showed a group wearing yellow vest and some either waving Palestinian flags or holding signs up in the air. It's crazy out there, folks. It's crazy, and I don't see it getting any better anytime soon. Not trying to end the show today with a bunch of negativism. Just trying to keep you posted on what's out there. Pray. Pray. Pray for the people of Israel. Pray for the Palestinian individuals that are out there, not affiliated with Hamas. And by the way, we're supposed to pray for our enemies too, aren't we? Thank you so much.
Cause sweet 